Brethren, please pray with me. Father in the heavens, we appeal to you as disciples of Yahshua, taught ones of Yahshua. Uh, only you know, Father, the, uh, the difficulty of the topic I'll be covering today. I beg, Father, that you let those ancient words of yours penetrate and pierce through any error I commit in the course of presenting the material I have. Which, uh, as, as the song says, give us clean hands and pure hearts. Allow your word now to prosper. In Yahshua's name always. Amen. Hallelujah. Brothers and sisters, I'm Brother Michael Bannock from Fulton, Missouri. May all the blessings of Yahshua be yours. Every promise be fulfilled in your life. Title of my remarks today is Tribulation Preparation 101, subtitled Enforcement. Well, I'm uh, trying to get this clicker to work. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah. Tribulation Prep 101. The full title is Tribulation Preparation 101 Enforcement. Well, I'm going to first uh, tap the break. I'm going to take advantage of this situation for looking ahead to Tabernacles. I have a little something coming up, and I'm hoping someone will... Um, Come forward to me later. Someone who knows how to play a bass guitar. You just got to play two notes. Just two notes. Boom, 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 boom. If somebody's willing to do that for me, uh, please come forward, okay? All right, let's get back to business now. This is part one in a bundle of related topics. Continuing to the feast, you'll see a second part, too, if I'm given the grace to do so. Right now we're doing 101, Enforcement is a tribulation preparation concept. There's another one coming up, 102, Our Secret Code. Boy, you talk about clickbait. I can't wait to see the hits we get on that. Tribulation Preparation 102, Our Secret Code. You know, I have this fantasy that government um, investigators will come here and to check us out, and they stick around and pretend they're brethren, and then after a few weeks, we convert them. We, we convert them. And I'm, so I'm going to tell you what the secret code thing is all about, because the secret code is actually open code. So I'm going to give you a clue, but that, even though we're not going to do 102 today, if you go back to the Declaration of Independence for the United States of America, if you look it up, and you look at the last two words, the last two words... Uh, then uh, you'll know what our secret code is. Okay? Now watch. Those of you with tablets and handheld devices are going to look that up right now, aren't you? And so I'm going to lose your attention. But um, I will summon a recollection of that point later on. Tribulation 101, here's the outlook of what you're going to hear today. Whether the, I'm not saying this is an outline. This is, this is the outlook of, of um, the issues at play. Whether the great tribulation is near or far, we owe it to ourselves and our children to be prepared. Many of the principles that will prepare us will also make for a good assembly now. Moses' trials mainly revolved around a disorderly assembly in the wilderness. But Yahweh has laid out for us examples and instruction on how to handle naughty situations. 
Why tribulation preparation? Well, people everywhere talk like the second coming is just around the corner. Now, I've been hearing that ever since I turned, to, uh, to, you know, turned into adult life, even before that as a teenager. Oh, it's just around the corner. This can't go on much longer. You know, I've been hearing this all my life. Now, to, personally, I think he's coming back in two generations. That's, that's my estimate. But uh, whether it's today or two generations from now, we have a duty to see that over the horizon and get ready for it. How many are really prepared? Here, if the, if the tribulation and the second coming is two generations away, we should be t training our children how to train their children to stand alone, to stand up, to endure it. Why tribulation preparation? I'll give you by example. That reportedly, this is a true story. Some kid in, as I understand, some kid in college just didn't study for one particular class he didn't like. He didn't do the homework, missed a lot of classes, did a minimal amount of reading. He was hovering around a passing grade, maybe a little above a passing grade. And he was coming into the final exam unprepared. He was late for the final exam. And uh, I'd like you to guess his grade on the final test. You know, if you already know this, don't, don't give it away. But he heard somewhere that in multiple choice tests, the C answer is correct a slightly greater number of times. There's some dispute on that. I, mean, okay, I think I saw a number once that said in a random... Not a, it wouldn't, if it was random, it would be 25% odds for each of those four possible answers. But I heard somewhere that in, in that scenario, it's maybe more like 30% for the C answer. Well, this kid heard the same thing somewhere. So he comes in late, didn't prepare, and he just fills in all the bubbles on the answer sheet for C. Now, would you like to guess his final grade? His final grade, statistically, based on this legend, this, this urban legend, he should get a 30% grade. He got a zero. It was a true-false test. <laughs> so the answer key on the left has just bubbles A and B filled in, but this knucklehead proceeded to do all Cs. This failing student didn't prepare, didn't know the answers, didn't know the questions, didn't even know the form of the answers that, that he should put down. What about you? What about people who are going to come to us, Johnny, come lately before the tribulation? Hey, can I tag along? There's a brother in the faith out at West that um, many of us loved. He's deep into retirement now, but he used to rent a resort home on the Oregon coast and invite families to stay with him for the feast. And I've been there for a number of those feasts. They were wonderful. But he discovered that if somebody brought along a guest that nobody knew, a last-minute guest, there was always a problem. I worry about that. I've talked about this somewhat before. I worry about this as, the, as we approach the tribulation People are coming to us who have no investment in each other. They have no investment in the fellowship, the, no mileage. Will they bring problems? In the uh, story of the Exodus, we have characters there stirring up the Israelites. 
the rabble. We want water. Yeah, we want hot water. By the way, um, on that test that kid took, uh, reportedly the professor gave him a scathing letter. He said, you are the first person in history to ever get a zero on a true-false exam. (laughs) All because he, he just invested nothing in that process. In a sense, the tribulation will be our final exam. What are you doing to prepare for it? From now on, if I ever cover a topic related to tribulation preparation, I'm going to underscore it. And that's what we have here. I'm not making this up. It's a sincere worry of mine. If you haven't yet seen the disruption of someone coming on board who doesn't know what's going on, if you haven't yet seen it, then you're not paying attention. I remember some Mormons tried to convert me down in uh, Arizona when I lived there. And I told that to them, everybody's an elder. I mean, no matter what your age, you're an elder. It's really something. This young man who called himself an elder called me after a couple of months of, of looking at the Book of Mormon. And I happened to use the name Yahweh. And um, then he started to use the name Yahweh in conversation, too, as if I, this was going to warm me up. You know. Uh, well, anyway, it's an example of someone pr- pretending to be where I'm at. So enforcement sounds harsh and negative, doesn't it? Ooh, this sounds bad. Like I'm like I'm walking around with a club in my hand, doesn't it? For that reason alone, I must tiptoe through this topic. I'm going to go back for a moment and just talk about why am I covering enforcement. This is something I thought of after sending the slides along. This is an item I had neglected to include, so I'm going to ask you to let me explain it without any visuals at all. Very difficult case study. Decades ago, a fine young man I knew got engaged to a girl, and he never sought the parents' approval. The, the girl's parents, and they were actually adamantly against the marriage. And um, after they were married, the first dispute they had, the girl went right back to her parents, and they stroked her and said, there, there, we told you he was no good, and the marriage was destroyed. You think of all the conflicts you've been through in your life. Come on, think about conflicts. People owe you money. People cheated you. People lied to you. People didn't follow through on their sacred duty. All the conflicts. Could be with anybody, authority figures, your parents, your children. Don't you wish sometimes somebody with authority would step in and say, hey, this is how it should go. Every single case of conflict has that. Where you wish, boy, we've got to have somebody here with the final word. When that young man lost his wife, he had no one to enforce the marriage. The, the girl's parents were ready to receive her back. There, there, we told you he was no good. He, he was a fine man. But first dispute, nobody there to enforce it. By the way, did you know there was a time when the courts in America would usually decline divorces? They'd say, you go back and work that out. So it's a difficult subject, but our hearts cry out for justice, don't they? 
Now we're ready for what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 8.11. You think this is not an important subject. Ecclesiastes 8.11, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Friends, that's it. That's where the action is. This explains everything from government corruption down to the unruly kids in your neighborhood. I went to a lovely feast about 30 years ago, absolutely lovely, and people were starting to warm up to the guy who, who coordinated it. But in follow-on fellowship, they found out his, his kids were unruly. People pulled away. Nah, nah, this, is, this fellowship's not going to go anywhere with um, wild kids. Corruption in government. The highest levels of government, we have corruption right now. Some of it appears to be treasonous. Local governments, I didn't know anything about what is called police brutality until I made friends with a lovely Mexican family in Chicago. And one day they poured their heart out to me and told me what they endured at the hands of uh, some bad cops. Yeah, there's bad cops out there. Hmm? How about in business? Well-connected people commit financial fraud. They get off or they get a light sentence. Why is this? I'm going to give you a hint of how hot the fire burns in our hearts seeking justice. I'll give you an idea of what's at play. Some of you may be concerned now that I've mentioned three things in the headlines, but I haven't mentioned the thing you're worried about. Well, Brother Mike, why don't you mention this? Why don't you mention that? We're at a place where we're very wound up over injustice. Enforcement of Yah's laws, enforcement of the laws of man, enforcement of the rules of your home. This is serious business because it leads to peace. I'm saying we've got to have this in place before the tribulation begins. Don't think, oh, we'll work it out later. If you think enforcement is harsh, just weigh the, con- just weigh the convenience of inaction against the consequences of unbridled disorder. And now I'm going to bring to remembrance the parable of the ten virgins. <clears throat> it's a real simple parable. Ten virgins, five wise, five foolish. And the wise ones, not only were they ready, but they had to say no to the other five. Now something like that happened right now. I know what, the, I know what some of them are going to say. You're mean. You don't share. That's not fair. But they had plenty of time to prepare, just as much time as the five wise virgins. Sometimes I say five wise versions. Sorry. Five wise virgins. Not only were they wise enough to prepare, but they also had the ability to say no. No, we're not going to give ours to you. We're not going to have enough for ourselves. So that's a lot of authority to say no. And all those things about sharing and giving in the Bible suddenly are not as important as what's at stake there. The final exam before Yahshua comes. Okay, we've all heard about getting the log out of your own eye before plucking the speck out of our brother's eye. That comes from Yahshua. 
Modern philosophers have appropriated that. They say, be the change you want to see happen. I think it was um, Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, who said that. Yahshua has very striking um, language there. Get Get the log out of your own eye before plucking the speck out of our brother's eye. What a lot of people don't realize is that when you're trying to get that speck out of your brother's eye, if you have a speck in your eye, from his perspective, it looks like a log. That's just how it looks to him. Yahshua does tell us that we'll have success if we get the log out of our own eye. I know there's backup situations where if your brother doesn't listen to you, you can come before, bring others along. We'll talk about that. But sooner or later, something's got to give. Either the, the fallen brother is restored, and that's the objective. Or else I find out I'm wrong in my accusation. But be the change you want to see happen. That's what Yahshua is saying there. Get the log out of your own eye. Yahshua's internal enforcement program has several phases. First, I get my own act together. That's number one. Number two, I approach you directly for an offense. I don't go blah, 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 blah to everybody. I go to you myself. And then if I'm not effective, I bring along others who must also have their act together. It doesn't do any good to bring along those additional witnesses Yahshua told us about. And then those other witnesses... Um, have open faults. And then after that comes the, quote, the assembly, which also must have its act together. Now, there's different interpretations of what, quote, the assembly is there. Okay, um, one is to bring the whole congregation in on it, and the other is to go to the assembly of elders. And there's there's, uh, linguistic clues that suggest that, too. Okay, but... The people involved in this, and if they're going to restore a brother, they have to have their act together too. That brother cannot have any indictment to throw at somebody. I want to go back to item two. I approach you directly for an offense. That comes from Leviticus 19. If you go back and look at the verses that say, love your neighbor as yourself, it's given to us in the context of going directly to your neighbor Look like four verses above. You shall not go up and down as a talebearer. You will not suffer sin on your neighbor, but you go to him directly with his fault. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, if I haven't quoted it right, words of that tenor are in there. Imagine that. The second greatest commandment starts with correcting your neighbor. Yahshua's outreach program has a similar flow. Now, I don't have a whole lot of visuals here, and they're pretty simple this time. I've drawn three concentric circles. In the center, I have me. Then the outer the circle outside of that is us. And then the one outside of that is rest of the world. Now, in the middle, I didn't want to put me there, but here's the deal. If I put the word you in there, it's plural and singular both. So I don't want any confusion about that. So I put a clearly singular word in the middle, me. That don't, doesn't mean I'm in the middle. It means any one of us, Okay. If I wish to be an influence for good, I'll be reaching out to individuals among us. Romans 12.10 seems timely. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. There's that honor thing again. 
this is a good time to tap the brake again. A little while ago, I told you that the material I'll cover at Tabernacles, if I get the grace for it, will be our secret code. And I told you it would be related to the last two words of the Declaration of Independence. How many people just looked up? How many people looked it up? One, two, three. It wasn't an assignment. A three. Who else looked it up? Anybody else? Okay. Okay, the last two words of the Declaration are sacred honor. Okay. And uh, the founders of this nation said, to one another we pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I get a cheer in my eye sometimes when I think about sacred honor, where they make themselves available to each other in the, in the highest levels of honor. I know the words sacred honor are not in the Bible in that way, but the Bible talks an awful lot about honor. Honor, honorably, honorable. And of course, we're a holy people, so everything we do is sacred. So it seems reasonable for us to appropriate that language, sacred honor. If I reach out to any one of us and say, I think you could do that better. I think you should have done that differently. B before A. Your choice of words was poor. That conversation has to operate in a wavelength of sacred honor, like it says here in Romans 12.10, in honor, preferring one another. You're my peer. I'm not out to destroy you. We're on the same wavelength. We're going to fix this situation internally. When the congregation is in order, then we have our outreach to the rest of the world. Matthew 5.16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The relationships we're developing here are being mirrored at countless locations around the world. People just like you and me are congregating in their place. They know where the kitchen is. They know where the snack bar is. They know what they can get away with. Hmm. Can I snatch a few peanuts now or should I wait till mealtime? We, we sort of know what to expect from each other. And we have a sense of how we can turn to one another when we need each other. When the congregation is well run and everybody's flowing, self-correcting, it becomes a very attractive place for our outreach to... Um, to develop. Hmm? It becomes an attractive place for others to join in. Where we come as close as we can to the kingdom, even though we have, um, we have the limitations of our, of our carnal nature right now. Well, okay, I want to say that right. We have the limitations of our humanity. We're supposed to overcome that carnal nature. But there's still some imperfections. And, you know, there's people out there watching who are thinking of coming to the feast or coming to visit us. And uh, <clears throat> I want that experience to be a good one. So that's where this business of enforcement becomes important today. I'm going to transition now to some specific cases from the Bible maybe some from real life. But I keep wondering, what is the word out there for the phenomenon of letting people, places, and things cloud your judgment? 
And I'm worried about the one where people, places, and things got an attachment to your heart. They got an anchor point in your heart, and now you're hindered from speaking the truth in due season of rendering right judgment. Maybe the word is bias. Prejudice isn't quite the right word because that means you'd like push somebody off. But where you would give a preferential judgment because of a person, place, or thing. Somewhere in there, I think it's in the Proverbs, it says that a gift blinds the eyes of the judge. In the business world, we have um, ethical rules which hinder us from giving gifts to customers because it will blind their eyes when it's time to make a choice for a new vendor. Say they got a new project and a new supplier uh, has to be brought on Boward for this new project. Uh, I might buy influence there by giving them a gift. It's amazing now looking back. There are times I've had to give up Christmas gifts from suppliers who are selling things to my company and I have to turn down things at Christmas. I say, well, I don't do Christmas. I can't take that. But I have to wonder how many other people went to the parking lot and got that gift out of the garage. I'm not sorry, got that gift out of the trunk of the car of the salesman. Well, anyway, gifts blind us. People, places, and things getting anchor points in our heart. When they find a place in our heart, we are hindered from rendering right judgment if it affects them. For the ministry, this is particularly difficult temptation. Let's face it, the ministry is a people business. And you're going to have a lot of people you're interacting with, and you're going to get attached to them sometime. But this affects everybody. We're going to go to some rapid-fire examples. You have to know your Bible to follow. First, uh, pardon, in 2 Samuel chapter 15, 1 through chapter 19, verse 6, we have the example of Absalom's rebellion. I don't have time for the long story here. Absalom started to create a parallel government within Israel where he was rendering justice and accomplishing things in parallel with his dad. And in his mind, he wanted to break away and be the ruler. At one point, David had assigned a garrison to go capture him. And David's desire was just for his son to be saved alive. He really wanted that. But uh, David wanted so badly to save the rebellious son Absalom that he thought little of the men whose lives were endangered by the rebellion. I'm going to now zoom in on 2 Samuel chapter 19, verse 6 and 7. And Joab speaks to David. I'm going to paraphrase as I read to make it clear from the, from the Old English You love your enemies and hate your friends. This is Joab talking to David. For you have declared this day that you regard neither the princes nor the servants. For this day I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all we had died this day, then you would be happy about that. Now therefore arise, you go out there and express some gratitude unto your servants. For I swear by Yahweh, if this If you do not go out there and do that, no one is going to remain and stand by you this night. And that will be worse unto you than all the evil that befell you from your youth until now. Joab saw through this thing. He said, you'd be happy if everybody in the garrison died and your son was alive. You know, you're, you're out of line. 
you're going to lose everything. It's understandable that Absalom had a place in David's heart. But would David, would, could, could David rise to the level where he says, this kingdom Yahweh gave me is way more important than this rebellious son of mine. The Torah says you're supposed to bring a rebellious son to the elders. And if he doesn't shape up, he's to be executed. And by the way, that, put, that law puts a limit on, on what parents can do with their kids, right? Some people think that's actually an invitation to child abuse. But some of these kids are so far gone. <laughs> Absalom was way out of line. But David protected him. This is something every one of us faces in our lives. We're rendering right judgment might be hindered because somebody's got an attachment in our heart. We're all susceptible to this, the desire for protection for our own, even to the possible detriment of others. It's not a stereotype. It does happen where young men get in trouble and their mothers are very quick to bail them out of jail. They see their, their little boy as a wounded bird. Oh, this poor kid of mine. Why are you picking on my kid? We can love the, the rebel Absalom from a distance, perhaps. We think, well, maybe he's not such a bad guy. We can defense, be defensive about the entertainment we seek, the R-rated movies on our, our shelf, Perhaps you, you, anybody out there, we have quite an outreach. Perhaps you relish the music of acid heads, yodeling praises to Satan on track three while you wait for your favorite song to appear on track four. You going to get protective of that? Oh, I like that. I'm not going to let go of that. The Sons of Eli, 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 12 to 29. It's quite a story there. There's more to it than what I'm citing. Essentially, the sons of Eli corrupted the ministry in Shiloh, and Eli failed to restrain them. I'm going to quote to you a particular verse. This is heavy. 1 Samuel 2, verse 17. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before Yahweh, for men abhorred the offering of Yahweh. They hated Yahweh's offerings. Now, here's the deal. I'll give you my calling card number. Look it up on my laptop. I'll give you my calling card number. You can call any Orthodox rabbi in this nation. I'm not talking about these New Age happy happy talk guys. I'm talking about a real Orthodox rabbi, you know, the kind with the foot-long beard, those kind of guys. Call any of them anywhere in the country and ask them, what is the greatest sin in the Bible? And they'll all give you the same answer. It's when you bring Yahweh's work to shame, when you bring Yahweh's name to shame. This is big-time evil. Some of the things they did there I can't mention here right now. I can't, I can't gin up the nerve to talk about them in mixed company. But they were, they were over the top and beyond that in their sins. And it brought Yahweh's work to shame. I'm going to try to discreetly cover a real-life example from the past. Again, long ago, far away, I spent some time with a group. I didn't know they had been recovering from a great scandal. But the children of the ministry were out of order, and the ministry failed to restrain them. And they, I, 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 they weren't much better than the sons of Eli. 
Why didn't they stop them? And I talked to one of the members many years later. Her husband was there. I said, didn't Yahweh give you any warnings about this? She said, yeah, but we ignored them. Had visitors come and say, hey, something's out of order here. This stuff is extremely traumatic. Ahab and Jezebel, the king failed to restrain his wife. He could have become mighty in spirit for the job he was assigned if he had drawn close to Yahweh. Yahweh's within reach for every one of us. A wise man once said, we have about as much of Yahweh in our lives as we want. Jezebel um, slaughtered the prophets of Yahweh. She had a man killed just so she could acquire his property for her husband. She was a bad case. Ahab didn't control her. Whenever anyone among us renders poor judgment or no judgment or plays favorites or manufactures doctrines, searching for biblical loopholes to justify poor judgment, the fellowship at large notices. And uh, yeah, I have to. It's funny, I don't know if I could give this sermon, you know, 20 years ago. Right now, the assembly we have is. It's very orderly. I'm very pleased with the order we have. So there, there's a certain level of safety in talking about this right now. Um, I don't have the fear of someone coming to me later and saying, Brother Mike, were you talking about me? No. But I should tell you, if your children are out of order, the rest of the congregation will notice. Okay? If the, if the, if the leadership enters into bad judgment, we're going to notice. Okay, why do the, why the, I can't seem to advance this. Uh, I cannot seem to advance the slides. Oh, I'm sorry, the battery fell out. Okay, two batteries, one of them fell out. Did the back fall off? Okay. Okay. Nice piece of duct tape will take care of that. Okay. In Acts chapter 6, this was an amazing story, really amazing. This should give us courage. The Gentile brethren protest. In Acts chapter 6, the Gentile widows were unfairly served. It had to do with the portions of the food. I don't know how this happened. Do you know there are two, two different groups represented in that passage there? Gentiles and Jews, then the widows and not widows. You know, widows are real high on Yahweh's list of priorities. But for some reason, the Gentile widows were getting small portions of food. The Gentile brethren organized and appealed to the apostles to fix the problem. I'd like to know how that worked out. Because how would you know they got small portions unless they complained? And somehow their complaint had to get to some of the Gentile brethren, and they had to get together and say, oh boy, we've got to talk to the apostles about this. Gentile brethren got organized. So we have a religion here that's founded by Jews, run by Jews, and Gentile brethren get together. Out of the controversy, the office of deacon was created. Now, the word deacon is not in Acts chapter 6. I know that. But in Acts 6 verse 2, you see the word serve there. It's diakonine diakonine in Greek, diakonine. And that's where we get the word deacon. And what they did is they appointed men who were men of good reputation to start getting that organized so everybody got a fair amount of food. 
At that time, the main qualification for those deacons was fairness in the eyes of all. Deacon means servant. That was their main qualification. Later on, we got better at it, and we have additional qualifications. But having fairness in the eyes of all, wouldn't you like to be known as somebody who was fair and impartial in administering Yah's word? What a glorious comfort that would be to to know all of us were dedicated to justice, Yah's laws. Oh, boy, I just thought of something I didn't put in the graphic, but I think you'll understand this. I'm sure many of you have used word processors. If not, you've bought a newspaper and you know what I'm talking about. When we um, type up something on a word processor, the left-hand side is all lined up. All the words are all lined up. They call that justification. All right? In a newspaper, both sides are justified. Left and right, so you kind of spread it out so it's all nice, even columns. But that word justification means all the words are lined up with one line. Okay, we talk about being just, ju- we talk about justice, we mean everybody has the same rule. Everybody has the same laws and rules. Justice really means the same rules for everybody. So that the visual of, a, of the edge of a paragraph being all lined up, that's, that's kind of educational to think of that. Is same lo- rules for everybody. And some people use the word fair. Um, there is a difference between fairness and justice, but I think you know what I mean. To, re- to have a congregation full of people who are wise enough to render judgment impartially. I didn't have time to put it in, but Paul says if you have a dispute amongst the fellowship, you take it to the brotherhood. You seek out men who are of low esteem and get them in on it first. See, come on, I can't seem to sort this out. Brother Joe Dokes and me have a disagreement. Come on over here and help us sort this out. You know, sure beats going to Babylon's courts. When you go to Babylon's courts, all your personal business is out there for everybody to see. And it makes you always look bad. Here's a question for the fellowship. If you were among the protesters in Acts chapter 6, how would you make sure you approach the ministry in the right spirit? Hmm? That's why I want to talk about uh, pre-trib preparation 102, sacred honor, our secret code. Would you have the sacred honor to manage that protest honorably? This is real serious because you don't want you don't want to create factions and you don't want a bunch of grumbling. I was at one feast in my whole I had one feast in my whole life many years ago where everybody just seemed everybody was grumbling and complaining. And it was unforgettable. We have it so good compared to everybody else in the world. I don't know why anybody would complain. But if there's something to bring to the attention of the leadership, it's absolutely imperative that we traffic in sacred honor. Now, for the leaders, if you were insulted, would you be insulted if the brotherhood are organized before approaching you, just like they did in Acts 6? Well, if they come to you in the right spirit, you won't be insulted. For anybody, would you be ready to receive protest even if it indicted a person, place, or thing you cherished? Whether the great trip, I'm going to summarize what I've talked about here, because there's, there's so many tangential things we could talk about. There's something coming up, though, that's real important here in the last few minutes. 
Whether the great tribulation is near or far, we owe it to ourselves and children to be prepared. Many of the principles that will prepare us will also make for a good assembly now. Moses' trials mainly revolved around a disorderly assembly in the wilderness. In the Right now, it looks to me like the best template we have for end-time tribulation is the wilderness experience. Yahweh has laid out for us examples and instruction on how to handle naughty situations. Number one, we fix each of ourselves first. And number two, I ask you to focus on this with me. Number two is to maintain order in our spheres of oversight. So I'm going to highlight that. Maintain order in our spheres of oversight. If you have a particular area of life that Yahweh has given you and you have people under your supervision, you have to maintain order there too. A lot of emphasis on fixing yourself first. I get that. But there's another layer out there that is often overlooked. Think back now. Please think back to the examples I gave you. How many of them have to do with somebody who has a sphere of influence or or responsibility and they fell short? Restore brethren who are slipping. The real idea is to restore them, huh? I know some brethren, they're very different than me. I understand that some of you are going to be very different than me. Different traditions, different ways of looking at things, different kind of slang. I think that's healthy. I go out of my way to hang around with people who are different than me. Because I, I love seeing Yahshua in them. But you cannot let these differences in culture or upbringing and all that hinder your ability to restore a brother with honor. Maintain the integrity of the body. Our outreach will succeed naturally from there. And then tribulation scenarios will be manageable. And they're going to come. We're going to have tribulation scenarios. We may be getting some now. For all I know. But in your own sphere of influence, starting with yourself and the things for which you have oversight. So why tribulation preparation? Well, you don't want the wrong answers to, to, the, to the unknown question. And you don't want your answers framed the wrong way. Otherwise, you're going to get a failing grade. And the great final exam before Yahshua's return. So that concludes my remarks. Tribulation preparation 101, enforcement. I thank you for your kind attention. And uh, let's see. Oh, my moderator's up there. Brother Steve, I'm winding down now. Let's see what we can come up with when we talk about sacred honor next time. Hallelujah.